Battleground Productions presents Brass, the audio series, episode 40, A Curtain Falls. The year is 1886, but not one that would be familiar to you. For this world has seen the success of lighter-than-aircraft decades before the zeppelins and dirigibles of our own history. And in this alternate world, seven miles northwest of central London, past Hampstead Heath, is the magisterial Royal Aerodrome of Beddington a collection of four colossal hangars housing the 24 dirigibles that are the backbone of the Royal Air Corps. At the other end of the airfield, a mile distant, is a sentry tower where a lone watchman sits, his somewhat unfocused gaze taking in the peaceful English countryside on this spring afternoon. Ensign. Your tea, sir. You all right there? Yes, sir. Except my back, which is hurting rather a lot. Ah. How do those Lascars do it? I've seen them load the cargo bays of half a dozen airships full to the girders in 40 minutes. It's taken us and every enlisted man with less than two stripes all morning, and now half the afternoon, and we're just now finishing. Well, your typical Mussulman, thanks to the desert wastes, is impervious to discomfort and harsh conditions. I didn't know that, sir. At least... That's what I've been told. I'll admit, I've never asked one. Perhaps I shall. I had no idea that this was a high holy day for them. Something called Ramadan, sir. Every Lascar and every port and hangar in England is taking the day off. Ramadan. What a poetic word. It conjures images of Arabian splendor. I'd love to travel to Arabia someday. I suppose there are postings in the region. I have to think so. Just some place that isn't a watchtower at the end of an airbase north of London. A view mostly of airship hangars and the encroachment of suburbia upon a rather sweet little village. Not the most interesting of vistas, sir. In a way, I envy you a hard day's work, Ensign. Sitting up here at this lonely post, it does things to a man. Oh? I was never cut out for a soldier's life. I see, sir. Oh, you have your pleasures and distractions down below, but I, I have only this view and my thoughts to distract me. Uh, Sir? Look out upon that expanse, Ensign. What do you see? For me, I see nothing but half-forgotten ambitions and ennui. And those four aircraft, sir? Ambitions of travel, of adventure, of what? Oh, yes. Let me use the glasses. Ah, flivers, I think they're called. Just large enough for a pilot and a passenger. Looks something like huge dragonflies, sir. Ah, yes. A small swarm of flivers on a spring afternoon. Novelties, you know. Little in the way of practical application. They're heading toward the hangars, sir. Ah, they do seem to be. Perhaps we should alert the base? Nonsense, Ensign. They're flying far too high to be any sort of threat. Just a quartet of aviation enthusiasts out for a quick hop. Remember last autumn, when those three Oxford chaps were following the roads in that homemade dirigible? Yes, sir. More of the same, no doubt. Yes, I have been left in this still pool while the current of life goes rushing by. Why the military? Why not a curate? My brother Malcolm seems happy enough. 
Looks like they're grouping together, sir. Must one really believe in God to be a curate? It looks like such a comfortable life. I think they're dropping something, sir. Could I still do it? Resign my commission and find approval from Father in some other way? Perhaps see if destiny has more for me than to be a tin soldier, never so much as pulled out from the toy box. Bombs, sir. Bombs? Good Lord. The Central Bay Gate has completely fallen in. What? Where are they? The flivvers look to be flying on, sir. Look at that. The gate is a flaming wreck. The hangars look to be undamaged, sir. Yes. <laughs> it wouldn't have done much good for me to have called that in, would it? Hard to say, sir. Yes. You know, I think I might make quite a good curate at that. The Lord works in mysterious ways, sir. Meanwhile, in the basement of the London townhouse of the Crime Minister, Gwendolyn Brass is frantically trying to pick the lock on the cell containing Ponder Wright, while a half-dozen mechanical badges close in, electrical saws whirling. Ponder! Gwendolyn? They're coming! The door! All right, ready to move? There's something wrong with my arm. Yes, it's shackled to the metal rail. No, I don't mean that. A any idea of where we might find the key? Not in this cell, I'll wager. And that's a wicked little lock. I can crack it, but it'll probably take me three or four minutes. I don't know if we have that long. I think if I can brace myself like this, I can just pull it out of the wall. Gwendolyn, ponder. Father? Lord Bra. Please do not move at all. Whatever you are doing, stop doing it. But we're escaping. Stop it. Hold on for a moment. Hello. No one wave. Ponder, I'm afraid that your arm is now very explosive. I knew there was something wrong with it. There is. Enough pyroglycerin to kill everyone in this room if it's treated with any degree of roughness. Now, I've only got my small toolkit with me, but if we're very lucky, I can remove it. I'm not the most skilled mechanician, but I know my way round most automatonic machinery, and if you can hold very still, I... Or I can remove my arm. Oh? You can do that. With a little assistance, yes. Could you untwist this screw, please? And now it's just a series of hinges. Well done. Shall we go? I suppose we shall. But the mechanical badges... They seemed quite vulnerable to my electrostatic pistol. What's that? New invention I've been tinkering with. You see, the battery clips in here... Father. I'll show you the rest later. We should be going. Without your arm? Oh, well. Can't be helped. I'll miss that arm. It's the prettiest in my collection. At almost the exact same moment, a squadron of 12 flivvers are buzzing about over London, swooping over the Royal Artillery, as well as barracks in Knightsbridge, Regent's Park, Chelsea, and the Wellington Barracks in Westminster. From these buildings, a small group of men, led by Major General Briggs, have come outdoors to observe. What is that, Lance Sergeant? Some sort of fixed twin craft, Major General. Uh, it's one of those ridiculous novelty flivvers. Awfully fast and manoeuvrable for a novelty, sir. Uh, perhaps it's some sort of advertising stunt. Ah, look out! It's dropping us! Now, what sort of a bomb was there? Sir, look! There are papers blowing about all over the place. Well, don't just stand there, Lance Sergeant. Fetch me one of those papers. Yes, sir. Private, 
Pitch me one of those paper. Oh. Got one, sir. Here it is. Ah. Well, what's it say, soldier? Boom. The next one is a real bomb. Stay indoors. Oh. Oh. Obviously a scare tactic. Yes, sir. Uh, we won't be cowed by scare tactics, will we, Lance Sergeant? No, sir. No. <laughs> they think they can stop us from mustering and preparing for battle with a bombardment of leaflets? <laughs> what do they think we are? A church committee? But, sir, we're charged with protecting Her Majesty, yes? Well, that is our sacred duty. We all heard that speech just minutes ago. It seems that it's the Queen who's calling for the people. Who are we protecting if we leave these barracks? We shall not be cowed into submission. The Imperial Air Fleet shall be along presently. Uh, uh, let's get the men out in the field and into parade formation. The rifles, get the ready. Sir? Uh, Jack and Apes need a show of strength to demonstrate we are not afraid of them. Sir? What, Lord Sergeant? It's coming back. What? Yes. I think that a bombing run. Get out of my way, you idiot. I've got to get back inside. As the field clears of soldiers, the streets of central London continue to fill. From St. John's Wood to Clerkenwell, from Islington to Kensington, from Lambeth to Limehouse, come the people who have heard the call of their queen until there is a river of people flowing, cascading, flooding towards Westminster, unimpeded by the few policemen hastily pressed into controlling the crowds. One of the figures navigating the streets stands almost ahead above the masses, and when he reaches the St. Mary's entrance to the Houses of Parliament, he sees a cohort of police has gathered at the entrances. Good afternoon. I need to enter. Uh, sorry, sir. No one gets through. On whose orders? My captain, sir. Well, I am a lord, so I think that means I can enter the House of Lords, which is inside there. Do you have proof of your lordship, your lordship? Hmm. I have money, and this walking stick, and this ring. Constable 7328, Dave, take it from here. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Let me escort you in. Thank you, Constable. It's good to see you, sir. I'd begun to be a bit concerned that you weren't coming. I apologize for my delay. I don't think I had realized just how many people would come to the streets when they heard the message. People really love our queen. Uh, no finer woman in the land, sir. She is very nice. She flew with me in my fliver and recited poetry to me. Well, fancy that. <laughs> oh, this way, sir. But the House of Lords is this way. Yes, sir. But I'm to take you to the House of Commons. That's where the debate is really going on. Oh. Pardon all. Lord Watchdown needs to get through. Order, order, the Right Honourable Earl of Rosebery. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last week, we learned that a delegation from the Southern States of America has been meeting with our Ministry of Trade with hopes of investing in a scheme to help fund their illegal trade in enslaved human beings 
And the right honourable Lord Trent says this is simple economics. Yes, economics, something the right honourable Earl has little grasp of or education in. I? I? I received a first in economics from Oxford. Anyone who studies economics at Oxford might as well study classics at Cambridge. Yet more spiteful aphorisms from our Lord Trent. What does this even mean? And today, just hours ago, we hear of plans for an aerial bombing of Paris. What sort of madness is this? There is conclusive evidence of a cohort of anarchists and revolutionaries living near or within central Paris. What? Evidence. Classified evidence, which the right honourable Earl does not have the clearance to see. My post in the Ministry of Intelligence allows me to examine and, by protocol, approve any planned military assaults by our armed forces. This isn't a planned assault. It's a sortie. Mr. Speaker! Mr. Speaker! The right honourable William Gladstone. Thank you. I must remind you both, Lord Trent and all members of this chamber, that even as we debate, crowds of citizens have gathered en masse about these hallowed halls. Led by socialists, anarchists, and foreigners. And though this crowd has yet to put forward any demands... (laughs) What does King Mob demand of us? Mr. Speaker. Before such time, we must have a strategy. The army has been alerted and will begin clearing the streets. Clearing the streets? Through what means? Through whatever means are necessary to crush sedition. Aya! Ha! Mr. Speaker, I would like to say something. You are... Lord Whitestone. Good Lord. It is. James Ransom, Lord Whitestone. Distinguished members of Parliament, I speak here today as is my right. I also speak as an emissary of the Queen, the Royal Consort, and the Brass Family. What is more, I speak as an emissary of the people of England who have gathered in the streets around us. Collectively, we have a single demand. It is that the current administration immediately step down and that free and open elections be held within two months. Oh, is that all the leader of the mob demands of us? The people outside are not a mob, and I am not their leader. I had understood you were the king of a tribe of monkeys, and now you come in here like our king. You do not have a king. You have a queen. I brought her back to London. (laughs) You did, did you? And did you also magically resurrect the Brass family and bring them along too? Yes. You need to be quiet now. Excuse me. Constable? Oswald Tacitus Trent is a constable of the Metropolitan Police. I arrest you for a variety of criminal activities. (coughs) Including, but not limited to, theft, bribery, fraud, conspiracy, and moral indecency. This is outrageous. Are you going to subject me to a kangaroo court in this most hallowed chamber? No, sir. You shall be remanded in custody at this time, but your trial will be before an impartial magistrate and jury. Gentlemen, shall I be shackled in this chamber by this constable? Are you going to sit there and let this King of the Monkeys, 
set himself up as king here too? Apes. My people were highly advanced, great apes. I grew to manhood in the jungle and became their leader. But then I learned I was a man and there were others like me. And so I left the jungle because that is what men must do. I am allowed as a titled peer of the realm to speak in the House of Lords, and I believe that there is precedence for me to speak here in the House of Commons, as the Duke of Wellington did in 1814, I believe. That is correct. Gentlemen, there is only one law in the jungle, and it is simple. The strong take what they want from the weak. Mercy can cost too much. A mother who follows the cry of her young deeper into the woods may soon be dead. It is a cruel place. Men left the jungle because we did not want to live by this law alone. We wanted to create our own laws, our own customs, and our own destiny. If this was the jungle, I would not be speaking to you. I would be fighting you. I would give my battle cry, and the animals outside would come crashing in, tearing everyone in this chamber to pieces. But this is not the jungle. This is a chamber of law, and I believe we'll see to the law's upholding. And the people outside are not animals. They are your constituents, who give you your wealth, your privilege, and your office. Your support for this corrupt government is an insult to the charge which they have placed in you. When I came to the lands of men, I endeavored to learn their laws, for these are what distinguish us from the animals. Pericles of Athens was right to say that all men should envy the free men of his democracy, as was Cicero when he said of his republic, Salupopuli Suprema Es Lex. The good of the people is the chief law. Thanks to this nation's great Magna Carta, even a king has limits to his power and must submit to the laws of the land, laws made here in this august chamber. Let a vast assembly be, and with great solemnity declare with measured words that ye are as God has made ye free. Our laws determine the freedom of us all, because they are the only way of keeping the rich, the strong, the privileged from preying on the weak, the poor, the disadvantaged. These laws, more often than not, are just. We share as we can to the needy, protect those who are weak, and no man may have absolute power. But when you break these laws yourselves, when you turn from justice to personal enrichment, you have lost the right to govern others. Gentlemen, the present administration is illegal, corrupt, venal, and cruel. It must step down. I ask for your vote on a resolution of no confidence in Lord Trent or any of the men who serve in his cabinet, and for elections to be held within a period of two months. Does the right Honorable Lord Trent have a response? I... <laughs> Mr. Speaker, this is entirely... I have been bad. No, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant to say. I admonish... Is that the word? I admonish Lord Whitestone for his... I have 
done such things. Such awful, awful things. No, get out of my head. Get out of my head. I apologize, Mr. Speaker. I'm not alone in here. I'm sorry? He's here with me. I can hear him. Can't you hear him? That awful, awful voice. Uh, ring the division bell and help the constable take Lord Trent out of the chamber. Excellent speech, sir. And it has turned the tide. The government is stepping down with elections by May. I am glad to hear it. Let us talk tomorrow, sir. Come meet me at the Reform Club for lunch. Uh, one o'clock? I shall. Goodbye. Ah, uh, young man. Yes, elderly man. I, I suppose I am at that. Thank you. For what? For your speech. And those words. What words in particular, sir? Let a vast assembly be. Ah, yes. The poet Shelley. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. You knew him. I was him. You are Sir Shelley. Uh, Mr. Shelley, please. I do not use a title. I assumed you were dead. I suppose they all do. Ah, well. Do you still write poetry? Oh, no. No, sorry to say, not since my youth. Age turned me practical, learning how to work the levers of society, being a man of action. At the time, I thought that was good, to become a man of action. And it might have been. Regrettably, I went into politics, which can slow a man of action to a crawl, if you're not careful. I am very sorry to hear that. It's not been a bad life. I've done good for my nation, perhaps even the world. You could do worse than consider a career in politics, my friend, for you have a talent. But oh, oh, for the invincible passion of youth. Rise like lions after slumber in unvanquishable number. Shake your chains to earth like dew which in sleep had fallen on you. Ye are many, they are few. <laughs> I wrote some good stuff. You did. Thank you, Lord Whitestone. When your nation needed you, you rose like a lion. The elderly man presses his frail hand on the huge fist of the jungle lord. Then, with a remarkably brisk walk for a nonagenarian, turns and leaves. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Meanwhile, From the foul rookery that was up to hours before the headquarters of the crime minister comes the agent, Miss O'Leary, hefting a pair of heavy canvas bags. The streets are uncharacteristically empty, and she looks in vain for a carriage before beginning to walk with her cumbersome burden towards the nearest underground station. Help you with your bags, miss. Why, thank you, I... Hello, O'Leary. Mr. Crawford... Well, where is he? I've no idea. It's a sword cane. Honestly, I waited to see if he returned, but he didn't. No reason to. So what do you think? I think, Mr. Crawford, that a man like the Crime Minister has plans behind plans with a side helping of plans. And I think, if you're lucky, they won't include ever seeing you again. We'll see about that. I have to say, you're looking awfully good. Particularly considering the circumstances of our last meeting. Lass, I don't know whether I'd rather kill you or kiss you. If you kiss me, Mr. Crawford, it might be more dangerous. Uh, Good point. Have it your way. (coughs) Ow! Murder! Help! My hand! You vicious harpy! That man there, with that sword cane, he tried to slit my throat. Please, someone stop him. I'll get you, you witch. There, miss, he's off. Oh, thank you, good sir. Would you mind terribly helping me with that bag? Not at all. The two former lieutenants of the crime minister part, neither believing that they've seen the last of the other. Yet while some reunions are violent and fraught with danger, in this new world, there are also reunions of a much more joyous nature. Or so one might hope. I am so very glad to see you, Gwendolyn Brass. And I you, Lord Whitestone. And I long to take you into my arms and give you a rapturous embrace. Well, all right then. Why aren't you? On the heels of yesterday's events, I have been entreated to serve in Parliament. What? For a newly revitalized technocratic party. I have read through their party platform, and I believe it the most progressive of any of our major political parties. Universal suffrage, fair wages, and 40-hour weeks, even a nationalized healthcare system. It would be an honor to fight for such goals. In what capacity would you be serving? 
There is talk of Prime Minister. Ah. Clearly, the idea is absurd. I am lacking in the necessary experience and wisdom that such a position would require. Lord Whitestone, you are a natural leader of men. Their party and our nation could not ask for a better one. Well, such a prospect is unlikely, I am sure. Nevertheless... Nevertheless, until things become a bit more clear... And I become accustomed to my new duties, it would be best for me to serve my country and my queen first, before my own heart. Oh. Regrettably, I admire you. Regrettably? I am all too accustomed to the dilemma of putting one's personal desires behind one's duties. So, let us suspend our courtship until you have learned the ropes of your new position. There are ropes involved? Uh, no, it's just a figure of speech. Oh. I will have much to learn, won't I? Yes, my friend. But I believe you will. No. Think of your arm as leading from the shoulder, like this. Nice form, Mr. Abraham. Gwendolyn, so good to see you back here. Are you thinking of taking one of our pugilism classes? Actually, Dan, I just wanted to drop by and thank you for all you've done for me in the last few days. It was a mitzvah. <laughs> I'm just glad that it all ended without me being shot, falling from a great height, or being sawn to pieces by mechanical badges. <laughs> Quite the week, really. It was. So... So, when shall I see you next? For a class, any time. For dinner? Gwendolyn, you're an amazing woman. You're beautiful, dangerous, charming, and ethically advanced. You have all the qualities a man could possibly want. Except, sadly, in my case, one. What? You're not a Jew. Does that matter? To me, no. Not really. But you've not met my mother. No, but I would be delighted to. And believe me, there's a good reason for that. She's a lovely lady, and I love her very much. But if she were to find out that I was courting what we call a shiksa, I have no doubt that she would sob, curse me, and then immediately die. Oh, I see. Uh, mind you, I think it's one of the only things that could kill her. She's getting up there in years, but... But now, she's still hearty as a draft horse. So, I think for the foreseeable future, Gwendolyn, I look forward to remaining a steadfast friend, if you'll have me. Well, I understand. Somewhat. My mother is indomitable as well. Right, then. As long as I'm here, perhaps a bit of sparring? I've got some frustration. I really need to get out. All right. But Nick's on the brass knuckles. I value my face too much. <laughs> that face? It could use some improvement if you ask me. <laughs> Bring <laughs> it on, Miss Brass. So, there you have it. Oh, you can take off the goggles. Are you sure? The metal's still glowing. So it is. Fascinating. What's fascinating? Ah, the ramifications. Sending voices through the air is relatively rudimentary, but sending electrical energy through the air, safely and yet at high voltage, this will transform the world. Ah. Well... My dear Gwendolyn, forgive me. You come for a visit, I hand you goggles, bring you into the lab, flip some switches and show you my experiment. 
And I haven't even asked you why you are here. Oh, I'm used to this sort of thing from my father. How are you? A bit heartbroken, Nicola, if I'm to be honest. Oh? My monstrous luck with men. How can that be? You're lovely, supremely intelligent, a fearsome fighter, a mistress of disguise. An accomplished actress? No. I really am very good. I would love to see you on the stage. Then why, dear Nicola, am I so ill-starred in love? Ah, those of us with uncommon intellect or exceptional talent, my dear Gwendolyn, are all in some way ill-starred. For solitude is the only constant companion of genius. My own brilliant mind is an instrument of such fine calibration that the slightest inconsistency regarding the regulation of my life can be catastrophic. This morning, I was delivered 19, not 18, hand towels by my manservant. I sat on the bed, shaking, incapacitated, for nearly 20 minutes. No doubt you have noticed that I do not shake hands or physically embrace. I will admit I've noticed. Bringing my own interior vibration into such intimate proximity with another could, I fear, permanently alter and even degrade it. We are each, my dear Gwendolyn, operating at a vibrational wavelength that is infinitesimally yet precisely unique. The wonder is that we ever come close to attuning with anyone else for even a brief period. It is the later hours of an unblemished June morning, three months later, and the Brass family are finishing breakfast in their new townhouse, located almost exactly where their previous home had been destroyed less than a year ago. We find them engaged in the same sort of loving banter that is their characteristic expression at such a time. Where you're ignorant and wrong, Mother, is that Lord Whitestone and the Technocratic Party aren't trying to fix a flawed system, but to create a better one. Using whose money? Have you any idea of the proposed new tax rate for our income and estate? It only seems fair, fair? that... Your ingratitude for the wealth and status bestowed upon you as a child of this family would be galling if you actually knew what you were saying. Did you see this notice of a sale at Moss Brothers, Cyril? Mm, I did, Father. I'll try to get by tomorrow. Oh, please. You think that higher taxes for the wealthy mark the end of civilization? Tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow. Today's Paul's last day in London, and oh. I want to spend some time with him. He's not much of one for Moss Bros. His taste mostly runs to cassocks and other vestments. <laughs> if we are to assume that civilization consists of anything meaningful to existence, such as my library, my comforts, and my well-being, then yes, higher taxes are a threat to civilization. Honestly, I preferred this prime minister of yours when he was leaving smelly animal skins for you in the vestibule. Mother... For an aristocrat, you're rather helplessly bourgeois. I will not have such language at the breakfast table. You'll miss Father Renard, won't you? A lot. I mean, he's a highly interesting chap for a Jesuit priest. But he says he'll write, and I was thinking of a visit, perhaps in September. Until then, it's a fine day to spend with a dear friend. Well, what shall the rest of us be doing with our day, aside from arguing with each other? It was a heated discussion, not an argument. Mm. Well, I think it's high time I reopened my detective practice for consultation. Looking through the agony columns in the newspaper, I see a dozen potential cases. Mrs. Terry said she'd like to see me about a part in an upcoming play. She's commissioned an original work based on the life of her dear friend Eric. Though somewhat fictionalised. So basically not true? Not very, no. Mr Shaw is writing it, and it's to be called The Phantom of Widower's House. 
I have to say, it could do with more music and less talk. But that is the way with Mr. Shaw. He does seem to have an unending amount of talk. Mr. Shaw's at the vanguard of the new theatre, Papa. This new theatre should be a very chatty place, I imagine. You need to sit down with George and hear him out. Mm. George? God forbid you've any interest in that showboating Irishman. I think he's quite dashing. And we have a true meeting of intellects. Probably best. That beard of his would forestall most other sorts of meetings. Mother! Well... I've got a full day of reading to get on with. Still on the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. For my sins, Gibbon never uses a word where a sentence would do. Then why are you persisting? I have come to believe I have a severe deficit in my education when it comes to history. Any word from America, father? Yes, some. Mr. Grassley, Dr. Jones and the Liberians... They've formed a unit that they're calling the Abraham Lincoln Brigade to work with the suffragists. They'll be shipping the flivers to New York and establishing a base for missions, concentrating both on industrial sabotage and smuggling supplies to resistance efforts in the southern states. As I recall, Mrs. Nation had other ideas featuring armed and bloody revolt. And it may come to that, though I hope. Our own efforts demonstrate the value of meticulous planning and covert operations. I'm glad that Obed has agreed to go along and help establish their espionage networks. He's a superb spymaster, and to my eye, looks to be having more fun than he's had in ages. I've thought about joining in on the fight. Oh no, Cyril. Too far away. It would be a noble cause for you to join, but you're needed here to help uproot the remnants of the Crime Minister's network. Even with the efforts of Ponder and other detective friends, the caseload file is overflowing, particularly now with all the information Crawford's been providing. He seems satisfied with his diminished prison sentence. I don't know if he'll ever really reform, but he's already been of great use providing me with details of the operation as well as his underworld contacts. If it weren't for his affected bluff northern manner, I might actually like him. He's from the north, Mother. That's a little excuse. What of Lord Trent? Have they set a date for his case? Oh, uh, he won't stand trial. Why not? He's hopelessly mad. Convinced that the crime minister is sending messages directly into his head. His family will foot the cost of a very nice asylum. Well... One fewer enemy to worry about. But another broken link towards the crime minister. He's vanished, and even I couldn't find a useful trace. He'll turn up. He's far too vain not to. Meaning? He went toe-to-toe with the family brass, and he very nearly won. We are his Everest, and no doubt even now he sits at a new base camp, hatching plans for a new summit. Until that time, we've plenty to keep us occupied. Such as? Well, Nicola has approached me about his new business, for example. He's entering into partnership with Madame Howe and the first of his new Tesla wireless broadcast electro-audio receivers will be available for purchase by next month. It could use a snappier name. It could at that. My dear friend is a wonderful scientist, but rather a terrible businessman. I want to help make sure his invention actually benefits him, along with the rest of the world. It's not always easy to know how best to use something so new, particularly when you're thinking about the whole world. I 
believe if we concentrate on fixing one thing at a time, the world might take care of herself. Itself? Herself. Herself. All right, then. Off to the rehearsal room. Cheers! And I need to change. Can't go to the park wearing a morning cravat. Goodbye, parentals. Sibling. Stevie, meet me at my mirror. He is so vain. Farewell, my loves. See you at dinner. Now, Mrs. Drake, let us look at our schedule. Drake, where is she? She's gone, Benjamin. Gone? Where? Two weeks in Bournemouth, visiting a cousin. Mrs. Drake on holiday. Well, I suppose if you needed a sign that all's right in the world, that would be it. Oh, and I don't know if you saw the post, but the Royal Consort wants to rename the Albert Bridge to honour us. It's a lovely gesture, but... The Brass Bridge. People will expect it to be made of brass. Do they currently expect it to be made of Alberts? <laughs> Couldn't we get something more congenial named for us? Say, a public house? I think our name would look wonderful on a hanging tabard. You know even that will require a royal reception. Well, if we can get away with only a small reception, I suppose it'd be all right. Small, early reception? Gwendolen seems quite taken with this Shaw fellow. He's a vegetarian and, by my estimation, a virgin for life. <laughs> She'll figure it out. My dear daughter, how I wish her love life ran just a bit more smoothly. It will. Someday. I am glad that Cyril has found someone. So am I. There are times when he looks at Paul. It reminds me of you in the early days. The early days? You mean when you were trying to kill me? Bit after that. It wasn't love at first sight when I first beheld the astonishing Lady Madeline de Vere. It might have been something closer to fear. But it was a moment of profound recognition that if this woman didn't murder me, I would marry her. Murder really would have been the only alternative. Not as satisfying. I do love you so, my wife. And I you, husband. Remarkably enough, I can't imagine my helping foment a revolution with anyone else. Mm. I'm already regretting some of the changes. We can't go back to the way things were. But perhaps we can make them better. We can but try. You know, I heard that saying attributed to another detective. Yes. Well, let's not talk about him. As the couple finish their morning tea, they smile at each other and all does seem right for this brief moment in this very different 1886, bringing for now a conclusion to the adventures of the first family of the realm, Brass. Brass is manufactured by Battleground Productions and features Kate Cray as Lady Brass, Charles Leggett as Lord Brass, Catherine Grant Sutty as Gwendolyn Brass, and Jeremy Adams as Cyril Brass, with Larry Albert, Dennis Bateman, Margie Bickman, Lisa Carswell, Amy Decker, Nancy Fry, Ronnie Hill, Philip Keeman, 
John Longenbaugh, Matt Middleton, Terry Edward Moore, Tad Morgan, Pam Nolte, and Nikki Vissel. Brass was recorded at Jack Straw Studios, engineered by Joel Maddox, with sound design by Kirsty Gilmore, and music composed by Bruce Monroe. It was written and directed by John Longenbaugh. For more information on Brass, go to battlegroundproductions.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, and to support us, fund us on Patreon and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you.